Well, this week, uh, we're continuing through the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts 13 this morning, so if you want to turn there. This is the launch uh, of the modern missions movement. Uh, This is where people who were just originally church planters, kind of refugees, early disciples, uh, the, the Jewish convert, the occasional Gentile, they're kind of finally getting together, and now this worldwide missions movement is about to begin. Do you remember Jesus said in Acts chapter one, the Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you and you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right where they were, Judea, which is a little bit farther away, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. Well, today is the launch of the uttermost parts of the world. And and so we uh, wanna be reminded today that missions is here, there, and everywhere. Uh, that we are on mission all the time, wherever we go, uh, wherever we are, and and sometimes that's here, and sometimes that's in far off places, uh, like Texas from Georgia, uh, those kinds of things. And so uh, lots of these guys are from Georgia. Uh, And so as you think about that today, uh, I wanna ask you, are you an adventurous person? Do you like adventure? Uh, one of my buddies uh, from a number of years ago, he celebrated his 50th birthday recently, and he went skydiving. Uh, exciting. Yeah, there we go. Good. Um, I, it, are you an adventurous person? Do, do you like those kind of things? Well, I do like adventure. It, it's one of my core values that I uh, put down in our missional pathway. You're going to hear lots more. Many of you have been through missional pathway. It's one of my core values. I love adventure. And, and way back in 2007... Uh, I took an adventure with some young adults. We went uh, 9,000 miles across the world uh, to a large country that starts with a C. They had the Olympics there recently. And we did ministry there. But we didn't just go and like tool around. No, we flew into the big city. Then we flew into another city. And then we took a four-hour bus ride. And if you've ever been to a developing country, a bus ride in developing country is uh, an adventure in itself. So a four-hour bus ride into the mountains to a small village, a rural village of one million people. Rural village. Where I'm confident the only three people that spoke English in that town were the three, we'll call them workers. Uh, we, in our context, call them IMB journeymen. Uh, they were on a two-year Uh, stint over there. They were the only three people, I think, that spoke English in the town. And then these folks from Orlando, Florida. And on that trip, I learned a lot about adventure, about what it meant to play basketball as an old guy. Because I was old then and uh, I'm older now. And how Americans are great at half-court basketball But young men from that country have a lot more stamina and speed in full court basketball. I learned that you just pray that God would calm your stomach with whatever you're putting in it. The food was wonderful, but I didn't always know what I was eating. And that the power of the gospel, even when someone doesn't speak your language, supersedes barriers. That's adventure. And and we're going to see today that kind of adventure. A a few years later, a number of years later, I got to ride on my 
really technically in my second train ride. I, I've ridden the Harry Potter train in Scotland, but that doesn't really count uh, in my opinion. Uh, but I got to ride an overnight train uh, from Inner Mongolia uh, to a big city. And I got to sleep with two strangers. That's fun. <laughs> Sleeping with two strangers on a bed made for people in that part of the world. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And it was a wonderful experience with these two young men. They were both young men uh, starting out new careers. They spoke English. It was a great opportunity just to share life with them, and I loved it. I slept about 30 minutes, but it was still wonderful, and, and I enjoyed it, and, and I would do it again a hundred times. Um, but, but as I think about adventure, and I think about what it means to, to be on adventure and, and to be on mission, it's not just true of, of going halfway around the world, but it's also true of going next door. That sometimes going next door is an adventure. Uh, sometimes talking to my classmate is an adventure. Uh, sometimes interacting with my boss is an adventure. We, we, we have adventure of all kind when it comes to sharing the message of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to turn, if you haven't already, to Acts chapter 13, and we're going to look at this beginning of, of what we know as the kind of modern missions movement. In Acts 13, verse 1, it says this, now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John, that's John Mark, uh, to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind, unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This passage has 
a ton of things that we could talk about, but I want to direct our attention to a couple of things. First, this church at Antioch, uh, it's in modern day uh, Turkey, kind of on the border of Turkey and Syria. There's a map that you'll get to see here as we think about what this community, where this community is. So you see on the right, there's Antioch. They go to the port city. Uh, That's Turkey, that big thing. And Turkey's border today comes all the way down. It's right on the border of Turkey and Syria today. They sail to Cyprus, Salamis, and they go 100 miles across the island to Paphos. And then the rest of that is their continued journey beyond there. But to give us an idea of of how they're traveling and where they're going, you you see this church that's launching men out to go and proclaim the gospel to the rest of the world. And, And in this church, there are these men, these prophets and teachers who are leading the church, who are encouraging the church, who are challenging the church. And and even who they are matters in this story because it's a foreshadowing of the worldwide movement of the church. Because look at these men. We we know Saul, who is also called Paul. That's where it happens in this chapter. Uh, Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, we know them. Barnabas, the great encourager. Paul, the great missionary. And we're going to continue to learn about them as we read uh, in the weeks ahead. But you have these other three men. Simeon, who was called Niger. It was a a Latin nickname meaning black or dark-complected. Here is a man from a different race and ethnicity that's in the leadership of the church. That's a prophet, a teacher. And then you have... Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is in North Africa. So he's come from another country and joined this group to follow the gospel. And then you've got Manian, who was probably the strangest of the bunch. Because it says he was a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. Well, the story is that Manian grew up with Herod Antipas. And I know all of you are experts in church history and Roman history. Thank you. But Herod Antipas is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. So here you have Manian who grew up in the court of royalty kind of as a a foster brother, that's kind of how we would think about it, in the court of the man who killed John the Baptist. What an eclectic bunch of guys. And then you have Saul, who is the you know, former Christian killer, the perfect Jew, and Barnabas, the encourager. So what a beautiful picture of the complexity and the uniqueness of what the church is supposed to be about. Just in these five guys who are leading the church at this time, these prophets and teachers. Prophet, the, the one who is filled with the Spirit of God, who, who speaks an inspired message to encourage, to challenge, to equip, to set the direction of the church. That's what these men were doing, these teachers who explain the Word of God plainly. That's what a teacher does. 
takes the complex and makes it simple, takes the simple and keeps it simple. So these men leading the church, this all world group of men, a great foreshadowing of what would happen in the life of the church from this point forward. I'm grateful that the scripture tells us about these men and their gifts and how they were being used. It's a reminder to us that that the church, the movement of the church is not so much about the folks that are paid to make it happen, but, but the movement of the church, the the flourishing of the church, the expansion of the church is really about the people of God because that is the church. And so I want to encourage you that as, as you see people using your gifts, using their gifts to, to encourage, to teach, to share the gospel, to do the things behind the scenes that matter, uh, to, to keep the church moving forward, encourage them, bless them, thank them. Tell others how thankful you are that God is using them. I'm thankful that God used these men from all different places and walks of life to lead the church. I'm grateful this week that I had a meeting with a group of folks and, and in all my great wisdom, I asked them, hey, how do you think we can fix this? And they gave me five wonderful solutions. One in particular that I implemented the next day. I'm so grateful for those people who gave me insight into how to lead better, how to implement ministry better. It's wonderful. One of our widows this week emailed me about how grateful she was that her deacon is always faithful to call her and check on her and love on her and encourage her and see if she needs anything. Sometimes we get focused on all the people up here because Ashton is great at guitar, which he is. And, and we see, well, this is really where it happens. No, where it happens is out there. And so thank those that are using their gifts to make it happen, to see the church advance, to see the gospel move forward. And as we do that, we do so with an attitude of worship. These men devoted themselves to worship and fasting. That they were constantly acknowledging the, the worthiness of God, the majesty of God, the, the beauty of God, the power of God that, that changed their life and was going to change millions and millions of others' lives. And they were fasting, earnestly setting aside time to pray and devote themselves to God by giving up food in that moment. To say, I don't want to be distracted by the earthly things. I want to devote myself fully to God. This was a regular habit for them. It just didn't happen on Friday night or Sunday morning. And so may, may we never forget that worship is a lifestyle, not an event. We talk about coming to worship a lot. But worship just doesn't happen on Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. Worship is a lifestyle, not an event. It happens Sunday through Saturday. Because we should live a life of worship, not just say I'm gonna attend on Sunday morning and get my dose. 
No, I'm going to devote myself to a lifestyle of honoring the Lord, of giving him worth because he deserves it. That's what these men decided to do. And and the church was doing that. So, So it wasn't just these five men, but the church was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit spoke to the church and said, set these men apart. My prayer is that the Spirit of God would move so mightily in our midst, not just at First Baptist Friendswood, but across our area, that all the time people would be, setting up, would be set apart to do great things in their workplace, in their school, in their neighborhood, in the band, on their baseball team. At softball on Monday nights, praise the Lord, hopefully. That, that everywhere we go, God would be moving with us because the Spirit of God is present. And because the Spirit of God was present, he used them to launch a movement that is going to this day. We get excited if a movement lasts three weeks. We get excited if we have a five-game winning streak. We, we, we get excited about small things, and yet God has kept the worldwide missions movement going, and I want to be a part of that. And so God is doing a new thing here as, as he sets apart Saul and Barnabas. He sets them apart so that they would go into all the world, reminding us of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which is the Great Commission. We know that. And, and he says, you know, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I think we have the verse. Yes. Has been given to me. And what are you going to do? Now, go, right? Go, therefore, as you go, wherever you go, Make disciples of all nations. That's all people groups. Baptizing them so that they will publicly identify with the person of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I'm with you always. To the very end of the age. As you go. As you go, here, there, and everywhere. Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are about to go everywhere. And that's God's calling to us. And so they head to Cyprus, which is where Barnabas grew up, on that island. And they get there and they preach and teach in the synagogues, plural, because you saw on the map they went from one side of the island to the other. And so all the way, they're preaching and teaching in the synagogues. And then they, they get to Paphos, and John Mark is there, and this is a great example of discipleship. Often we think discipleship is let's meet for 12 weeks and study uh, God's word and ask each other important questions. That, that is a part of discipleship. But discipleship is also on-the-job training, Hey, John Mark, why don't you follow us and do what we do? So you can help us baptize. You can follow up with these new believers. Why don't you do something? And all the while, we'll be teaching you. You'll be listening to us. You'll be watching. And so here John Mark is learning, being discipled by Paul and Barnabas. And they go the 100 miles across the island, and they get 
to Paphos and they meet this crazy magician, sorcerer guy named Bar-Jesus. Now please be reminded that God has a sense of humor, that he named a sorcerer, magician, son of Jesus. I know that's not really funny, but it is funny. Because Paul later is going to give him his real name. And, and so as you read the passage, you see there's a bar Jesus, and then a couple of lines later, there's uh, a word, Elimus. You may think, oh, it's two magicians. Well, no, it's probably one magician, and he's just called magician, because that's what Elimus means. So his name is bar Jesus, and they call him magician. So it's one guy that is trying to convince his boss, the proconsul, not to believe in the gospel. Have you ever tried to convince somebody not to listen to somebody else? Yeah, that, that's a common occurrence. How often does it work? It, I, that would be a great poll. How often does our great eloquence and logical argument convince somebody to believe differently? Hmm, I don't know. Just check social media. You'll find out what, the, what that rate is. But here, this magician, Bar-Jesus, is trying to convince Sergius Paulus, who is, you know, they've got the same name too, about what Saul and Barnabas are teaching. And if you ever need a trivia answer, Acts 13.9 can be your go-to. Because it's here that Saul of Tarsus is now called Paul. And this is where his name gets changed fairly permanently throughout the rest of the Bible, except when he's talking about his past. And so if anyone says, well, why, did, why do we call Paul when his name is Saul? You just say, oh, Acts 13, 9, and they'll think you're a brilliant biblical scholar. And so here they are. They come up and Paul begins to set the record straight. He looked at him intently. Looking at someone in the eyes intently sort of raises the bar of fear factor. When you just stare at someone and you don't let go, they know you mean business. That's why we have staring contests to see who's more powerful. <laughs> and so Paul looks at him intently and he makes this great declaration, another play on words. His name is Bar Jesus and Paul says, you son of the devil, it's the Bible, not TV, okay? You son of the devil, you're all thinking it, so it's okay. <laughs> son of the devil, you're against everything that is right and true. You're full of trickery and deceit. You make the things that are straight crooked. Like you purposely break stuff. It reminds me of a five-year-old. Right, like your, your whole mission is to mess stuff up. That's what you do. 
You're full of trickery and deceit. He, he calls Bar-Jesus for what he is. A person who is not just opposed to the gospel, but opposed to people. Because you just mess stuff up. And you mess people up. And that only comes from one place. It comes from Satan. And so the Spirit of God is on Paul in this moment in a unique and powerful way. The hand of the Lord was upon Paul and was about to be on Bar-Jesus. And so this mist comes across the room, there's darkness, and Bar-Jesus is blind temporarily, and he goes around asking people to help him find his way. Now, we might forget in the midst of all of this, the main purpose was not Bar-Jesus. The main purpose was not to engage this magician, this sorcerer. That wasn't the purpose of their mission. The purpose of their mission was to talk to Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, the governor. That's what he was, the governor. That was their mission, was to talk to him. And so here he is, kind of off in the corner, watching this circus take place. Can you imagine that, kind of being on the outside looking in? Like, what in the world is going on here? And I'm amazed by what it says in verse 12. After all of this had taken place, the proconsul believed. When he saw what had occurred. But the part that matters is not that he saw this great, crazy, strange event of blindness. No. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. It, it wasn't the, the circus show that got him. No, it was the truth of the gospel that got him. It was the truth of the gospel that caused him to believe. He was persuaded because of the truth of the message of Jesus Christ. The same message that you and I carry with us. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have this. You don't have to have the Old Testament memorized like Paul probably did, or at least most of it. You don't have to have the New Testament memorized. You don't have to be a, a Christian for 35 years. No, you have to have a simple message. I was blind and now I see. I have a simple message that, you know what? I believe that Jesus left the glory of heaven and he came and took the form of a man, 100% God, 100% man. He was God in the flesh, John 1 tells us. And he lived a perfect life for 30 plus years. And then he willingly died on a cross, shed his blood to pay the penalty of my sin, a death that I deserve, but he took it. And on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death, so that I could have eternity with him. And so I believe, I believe in that message. That's the message of the Lord. That's the teaching of the Lord. That's a simple message that we all have. That I believe that Jesus died for me. And the proconsul believes. And the missions movement begins. 
as you consider this passage and you consider kind of where we are in our life, I want to leave you with two kind of parting thoughts as you look to see how do these things apply to me today. The first thing is, as I look at Paul, he, he had done a lot up to this point. He was kind of in and out. He was really a secondary character until this point. At this point, you see Paul take the lead in a great way, and now throughout the rest of the book of Acts, he, he is the leader in the missions movement. I want to encourage you that no matter where you are in your faith journey, lead. Lead. Lead out. And that might mean lead out in handling the kitchen duties. That may be lead out in setting the chairs up. That might be leading out in being a greeter. That may be leading out in showing kindness to that person of work that no, at work that nobody else shows kindness to. It might be leading out in teaching because you know you have that gift and you've been sitting on your hands for a while. It might be leading out in discipling someone else and pulling them alongside you and say, you know what, I've been a believer for quite a while. I need to engage somebody else and help them walk with me so they may come, become closer to Jesus as I draw closer to Jesus. Wherever you are in your faith journey, lead. And then secondly, the message of salvation needs to be shared with everyone. That's like rocket science at all today. Like, oh, thanks, David, for the newsflash. But this passage helps me see that very clearly. That you have a, a man from North Africa. You have a person who grew up with an enemy of Christianity. Two of them, as a matter of fact. One who lived in the, in the house of Herod. The other one who grew up as a Jewish leader. You have men of different ethnicity. You have a Roman governor at the end. Everyone needs the gospel. Your boss needs the gospel. Your friends need the gospel. Your classmates need the gospel. Everyone needs the gospel. And don't be afraid to share it with those who you think, oh, they're not going to be interested because what was Sergius? He was a man of intelligence. Oh, this guy's a smart guy. He's going he's gonna to debate me all day long. I, I, don't have the, I don't have the insight or the wisdom or the wherewithal to deal with him. No. Everyone needs the gospel. And so share it with everyone here, there, and everywhere. May you and I be disciple-making missionaries wherever we go. Will you pray with me?